is uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 14 to 29, and the death of John the Baptizer. Um, in reality, probably the passage should be demarked 6 to 12 to 6 and 30. Uh, but we'll look at 6, 14 to 29 today. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, look at the importance of uh, the main themes in Mark, because there are main themes, and I'd like to see exactly what they are and share them with you. I'd like to see, too, uh, how the crowd had some incomplete views on Jesus with Herod and his uh, relationship with John. Well, Herod comes across as a very indecisive person. And if we look at Herodias and John, uh, we can see that, uh, I gave it a word, injurious. It even goes farther than that because Herodias wanted to kill and she was, she was successful in killing John. And then we'll look at the conclusion. So let's read John chapter 6, starting in verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodosius' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the excitement that you put in my heart, and I hope that you put it in the hearts of others. Father, when we go into your word and we know that you can speak to us, this passage this morning, Father, which is a little bit different from uh, the rest of Mark, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what you would have us understand, each of us, 
and not according to your will when you gave us the gospel of Mark, that we might know you better and that we might follow you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are, in reality, two main themes in the Gospel of Mark. There's a theme of discovering the kingship of Jesus, and there's a theme of discovering the way of discipleship. In other words, Mark, through his telling of the Gospel, or this biography that he made of Jesus, he wants to show his readers exactly who Jesus is. But not only does he want to show the, leader, the, the readers who Jesus is, he wants them also to discover the true way of discipleship. I don't think that we have looked at this yet in our study of the Gospel of Mark, but as with any other book in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament, we have to ask ourselves, well, who wrote it? To whom did he write it? And why did he write it? Mark was written in the first century during one of the most turbulent times in the history of the church. When we read of uh, persecution in uh, the Gospels uh, with the Jews and with the Pharisees and with the Herodians, and then when we read in uh, the Gospel uh, or the, the epistles of Paul uh, concerning uh, the persecution that the Christians might live, most of that persecution in the beginning was persecution that was coming from the Jews. What we have here when Mark wrote sometime in the 60s is a time when persecution was not only suffering from the part of the Jews, but it became something uh, much greater in the sense that all of a sudden we see that a lot of the suffering was caused by the Romans toward the Christians. When we think of that decade in the first century, we can think that we're talking about the time when Nero was emperor. And, and so we know that Nero himself, he knew who the Christians were. And we know that he didn't like them because we know that he blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome. And so from that point on, Christians were uh, taken away from Rome or thrown out of Rome. Uh, Christians were persecuted not only by the Romans, but the people that are around them, their neighbors, uh, their friends. And uh, we see also that uh, they, they, they suffered uh, the loss of maybe their houses, their children, their money, uh, just for the fact that they were Christians and they were not liked. Another, period, another thing that was very, very important in the first century, especially in this decade that we're dealing with, uh, was what was happening in Israel. The 60s were one of the worst times in the history of Israel in the first century because it was a time when there was revolutionary fervor going on in, in Israel to the point that uh, we had all kinds of rebels. We had all kinds of people saying that they were messiahs. Uh, we had uh, all kinds of people that were saying, all right, well, God is king, so nobody else is king. And, and so there was revolt. And so what we have here uh, is Mark writing to disciples that were in the Roman Empire that were being persecuted for the first time 
uh, by the Romans in a way that they never had before. And Israel itself was going through a tremendously hard time uh, because of the, for, the war that was coming upon them. And uh, even uh, Caligula, Gaius Caligula, uh, during this time, uh, had told uh, his people that uh, they had to uh, erect a statue in the temple in Jerusalem, a statue of himself, which would have been completely against what the Jews believed. Thank God what happened is, is that he died before it uh, could be accomplished. But still, uh, the Jews were under continual uh, turbulence and trouble and problems with regards to Rome. And so the Christians here, when, Paul, when Mark is writing his gospel, he's writing to Christians that were under suffering, might not understand the suffering, might not understand if Jesus was uh, the king of the cosmos, if he was the king of the world, if he was Lord and not Caesar, well, why were they suffering the way that they were suffering? And if they were Christians, how come they were not able to live in this world in a way that people could see that they were the children of God and they would be receiving the, the blessing of God? Uh, so Mark wrote his gospel for two reasons, like it states here. One, that they might understand more deeply and more thoroughly exactly who Jesus was. And second, as an issue from that, discover what it meant to be a true disciple. Discover what it meant to be a true disciple. These are the main themes in Mark. Mark, in the first 11, 12 verses in his gospel, he states out front exactly who Jesus is. He is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. But as we go through the Gospel of Mark, whether it be the crowds, whether it be the leaders, whether it be his family, whether it be uh, the disciples, no one really got what he was trying to tell them. No one really understood who Jesus was and what he was about to do. And so Mark in his Gospel, he has given us uh, a, a biography of Jesus where we are to understand even more who Jesus is. But in this understanding, it is calling us to live in a certain way. The Christian life and to live the Christian life is not a question just of receiving the gift of God. Because if we receive the gift of God, because of this gift, we are willing to give ourselves to him. And so it is the way of discipleship. There is no instant salvation in the Paul's epistles and the other letters in the Testament or in the Gospels. God wants us to understand what a real disciple is. When uh, it's the first time in the Gospel, he's going to talk again in chapter 8 about who the people say that Jesus is. And here in chapter 6, we have Herod not reacting in the right way to who Jesus is, neither Herodias. And we also have in, in chapter 8, the disciples not necessarily understanding who Jesus is. And so here we have people that are experiencing what Jesus is doing for them, are, are hearing his message of the kingdom of God, are experiencing the healings and the exorcisms that he is operating. And some of them are saying, okay, well, who is this, who is this person? Well, it must be John the baptizer raised from the dead. 
Now, did they believe in the resurrection uh, of a person uh, before the, the universal or the national resurrection of Israel? No. And most commentators would say what they were saying was John the Baptist, now that he is dead, he has come back from the dead or his spirit has come back and is working within Jesus uh, so that we could say that uh, it is if Jesus and uh, John the Baptist has been uh, raised from the dead. The second one is uh, the prophet Elijah. People were saying he was the prophet Elijah. Why? Because Jesus was speaking and teaching about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was the time when God would come back to reign and he would uh, operate the new creation. He would operate what he had always promised to, to do since the beginning of time, since creation itself. And so the Bible states in the, in, in the prophets, especially in the prophet uh, uh, Malachi, that before uh, the God would himself come back, Elijah would come back to prepare the way for God. And so the people were saying, okay, well, what we have here in Jesus, we have someone, because he's speaking about the, uh, uh, the kingdom of God here, we have someone that is preparing us for the time when God himself would come back and uh, we would experience the new creation. And there were others that were just saying, well, Jesus is just similar uh, to one of the prophets, and probably this expression, one of the prophets, it's not talking about just any prophet, it's talking about, about probably one of the great prophets, like an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or a Daniel. And they're saying, well, he is like one of those prophets because he's speaking about the end of times. He's speaking about eschatology, what's going to happen when God finally does restore the cosmos. And so what has to happen is that God has to speak to the people, that the people would repent, that they would understand that they have sinned against God, and that they would turn to him. And Jesus, in his uh, message, was speaking about the kingdom of God. And as John, he was also saying, well, uh, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the people, they had understanding. They had a certain understanding of what Jesus was doing and what he was preaching, but this understanding was not necessarily a complete understanding about what Jesus himself was teaching. If we look at Herod uh, and John, uh, we can see that Herod is an example of a person that's heard about Jesus, uh, but is indecisive in what he's going to do with Jesus. First of all, we read in the verses that we uh, just listened to that Herod heard of Jesus. Jesus had been doing a great work in the territory that uh, uh, was the territory of Herod. And uh, John had heard uh, through people exactly what was happening. Uh, I read one author this week that was saying, uh, they didn't have social media the way they, we did, but in uh, the society and the type of society in which Jesus lived, of course, they were uh, talking to one another. Everything would go from mouth to ear, uh, and everybody finally would, under, would hear about this man in Galilee that was teaching that the kingdom of God was going to come and that he was proving it by what he was doing. So people had heard about him, and Herod had heard about Jesus. He had heard that Jesus was there and that he was a miracle maker. 
but Herod, I think we could say, was superstitious. Superstitious in what sense? He said, I believe that uh, Jesus, again, is uh, John raised from the dead. Uh, again, I don't, I, I doubt whether he's talking about the resurrection as we would understand it. I think that Herod, who was very versed in Roman uh, philosophy and in Roman ethics and in Roman beliefs, uh, he might have believed that what we have here in Jesus, we have uh, John that has come back. It's almost like it's, it's his ghost. It's not really John. It's not really someone else, uh, but it's like a ghost. Uh, he's not a real person like uh, we, he is being presented in the Gospels. And Herod, we can see also, is guilty before the Lord. John says to him, it is not permitted or it is not lawful for you to take uh, the wife of your brother. And what had happened is that Herod had seen his sister-in-law, found her uh, quite to his uh, liking. And so he made her uh, divorce his brother and uh, marry him. But for him to be able to marry her, he had to divorce his wife that he had already. And because he divorced his wife, uh, which was not allowed in Jewish law, although it was allowed in Roman law, uh, he was guilty. He was guilty before God because he had not done what was written in the law. And if we remember in the Old Testament that a king uh, was supposed to be have the word of God beside him all the time, he's supposed to read it, understand it, study it, and do everything that was written within the law. And Herod, as the king of Israel, was not doing that at all. But Herod was interested in John. He was interested in what John had to say. He was interested in uh, how things were, were, what things were happening in his kingdom at that time. So there was an interest. But then it says also that Herod feared John. He didn't want to touch him because he wasn't sure exactly who John was in the, in the big scheme of things. And so what we have is we have Herod being indecisive concerning Jesus and what Jesus was about to. He heard about him. He, he had, had, had thoughts about him. He knew he was not right with God. Uh, he was interested in what John had to say. But Herod, he feared uh, because of the judgment that, God was, uh, that John was talking about in his preaching. And if we look at Herodias, well, Herodias, uh, very injurious in the sense that she hates John. Uh, she hates John. And why does she hate John? She hates John because what John was saying was that uh, Herod was committing adultery with Herodias and that in reality, he should have uh, not, not taken Herodias as his wife and he should have not have divorced his former wife. And so Herodias, who wants Herod to become a king like his father Herod the Great was, is saying to herself, well, if, if, if this keeps up, the Jews will not accept him as king because he is not living according to their law. And so Herodias, because John is stopping her from living what she wants to live with her husband Herod, she hates John. And the hate, according to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, hate is always a sign of wanting someone dead. Because what is hate? It's wanting to get rid of someone. 
because we cannot stand that person. And so Herodias wants John dead. And she searches for an opportunity. And then finally, she uses her daughter at a party to be able to get John's head. What do we see in this passage? I think the first thing that we have to realize in this passage, uh, like in all of the Gospel of Mark, discipleship is to be like one's master. And to be like one's master is to announce and to do what Jesus himself has done. What is Mark asking us to do? He is asking us to announce that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not Herod, not anyone else that was in power at that time. Even though they were suffering, they had to understand, yes, it seems like Caesar is in charge. It seems like Caesar is Lord. It seems that Herod is in charge. He can do whatever he wants, like with the case of, uh, of John Baptist. But in reality, it's not true. Jesus is Lord. I, I guess most of us know that the Christians, uh, when they were being persecuted, uh, especially at the end of the first century and going into the second century, all they had to do was go public and say, it is not Jesus is Lord, but it is Caesar that is Lord. And they, they would be free from any kind of persecution. But the Christians went in to the empire. They went all over the empire and they announced not Caesar is Lord, not Herod is Lord, not the king of the Jews is Lord, but it's Jesus is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. And also discipleship means doing the works of Jesus. The chapter six, uh, chapter six, sorry, the part that is just before the part that we have written, uh, that we have looked at this morning, uh, we see the disciples that are being, or the apostles that are being sent by Jesus into Galilee uh, so that they might announce uh, the, the, the message of the kingdom. But not only that, they were asked uh, to heal the sick and also uh, to exercise uh, the people that were, uh, taken with demons. And so they were asked to do the works of Jesus. And as a, as a disciple, we're, not, we're asked to announce Jesus as Lord and to suffer for it, but we're also asked to do the works of Jesus. And then people will say, well, Leslie, you mean that we must do miracles, that we must uh, uh, exercise people? Maybe. But I think what it mainly is saying, the works of Jesus is to prove to the people that are around us that God why Jesus has permitted us to participate in eternal life, but participate in the kingdom of God. And so as participates in the kingdom of God, as God wishes to restore humanity, restore the cosmos, well, we too, our desire must be that within our walks of life, within our church, within our work, within our school, wherever we are, that we too would want to do the works of Jesus. We too would want to help people be restored, be forgiven, be restored, and to live under the kingship of Christ. But to do that, we must be ready to suffer opposition. Suffer opposition uh, in many different ways. Like with John the Baptist, he gave his life. Most of the disciples or the apostles gave their life. The New Testament teaches us that if we are children of God, we will suffer. We will suffer opposition. And why? 
because the evil one and the world does not want to recognize nor live as if Jesus was Lord. And so as we go around and as we go about saying that Jesus is Lord and living our lives as if Jesus is Lord and being to the people that are around us, caretakers and people that are, are helping them uh, to, to, to live uh, what life truly is with a God that through his son has restored creation, that has restored man to the image of God that God wants. Well, we do that, people will be against us. And what Jesus is saying here, truly the, the example of John the Baptist and later on during his own example, we must be ready to give our lives for Jesus. Ask yourself today, as I ask myself, who is Jesus for me? Well, as John says in his chapter one, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The name Jesus gives us the Savior and the Lord as an historical person. And so, you know, I've even, I've even heard Christians and I've read some people that have said, uh, uh, we believe in the Bible, we, uh, the, the Bible is great, it's a good book, uh, the life that Jesus uh, is supposed to have lived, and the life that God wants me to live according to the Old and New Testament is great, but nothing, nothing of what has happened is so historical. We're not even sure that Jesus really, really existed, that he really was there. I, I'm telling you, it has been proven. It has been proven not only by theologians and believers, by unbelievers, that there really was a person, Jesus, that was historical. And that what we have in the Gospels and in the, God, in the epistles and in Revelation, what we have is an understanding of who this man, who this historical man was. And as John says, he's the son of God. The son of God, meaning that he is the descendant of David, to whom all authority has been given to reign over creation. That, that is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the one who, as we go farther into Mark, we see that not only is a man, not only is he a prophet, uh, not only is he a Messiah, but he is God himself. It's amazing that at the beginning of Mark, we read that uh, Mark says this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And at the end of Mark, what we have is the Jewish centurion said, this is truly the Son of God. And so what we have here is the gospel of Mark telling us that Jesus is not just a man. He is not just another individual within the plan or the design of God, but Jesus is God himself. He is the Son of God himself, who has come on earth to renew all things. And so Jesus is king, which means what? That he has authority over my life. He is the one to whom I must now give my life, give my obedience. And of course, he is a savior. Savior in what sense? He's a savior in the sense that he is able to save us from our sins. He is able to save us from sin. But even more than that, he is the one that is going to give us everything that has been promised by God since creation. Most of you know that I, I do not necessarily believe we're going to go to heaven when we die. What I believe is that when Jesus does return, when Jesus does come back to establish his kingdom, we will see uh, 
creation completely renewed, completely restored, and we shall participate on the earth in this new creation with Jesus. People will say to me, yes, Les, but what happens to people that die before Jesus comes back? I believe they go to court, they go to be with Jesus. Now that might take a little bit more explanation from what I just said, but I do believe that people, when they die, they go to see Jesus. They are saved. But I, 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 I want to put an emphasis today, not on the question of Jesus dying for our sins, but Jesus dying as our Savior, so as to be able to save us from everything that sins and sin has done in this world, so that we can live in a new restored and a new uh, in a new way that God has, uh, has given us. What is my position on Jesus? What is my position? Am I ready to follow him? Jesus has given us this example of John the Baptist through Mark to show us as he's about to embark upon the, the, the latter part of his ministry, the latter part where he's going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is saying to us, all right, you now, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the example of John the Baptist. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that permits us to be disciples in the way that you have called us to be. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is real. We thank you, Father, that he is sovereign. We thank you, Father, that he is Lord, that he is Savior. And we just pray now as we go forth, may we live with him and for him in a way you would want. In the name of Jesus, amen.